series on the book of Ruth. And today as we do, I want you to welcome with me, we have our church family joining us, not just in this room and online. In fact, online we have people in San Bernardino, Sacramento, Texas, Colorado, New York, Kansas, Idaho, Hawaii. Uh, Man, it's awesome. But we also have our other campuses joining us live right now. Blythe, California, all the way out, Higher Vision, Santa Paula. Come on, put your hands together and welcome everybody. We are glad you are with us. Great to have you. Okay, can I tell you a quick story? How many of you let me tell you a story? All right, thank you. So um, I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, So yesterday I had someone come up and tell me at the block party. They said, you know, Pastor, sometimes you'll mention people online. And uh, they said, it just so happened you were talking to people in Germany. You mentioned that someone was in Germany. Some of you might remember this a few months ago. And they said, it just so happened we were visiting our family in Germany watching service online. And you made some random statement. You're like, welcome everybody on, online, people in Germany. And then you said, and you know what? You need just to go get some apple strudel and, and put it on your plate and come enjoy the service. She said, this was crazy, Pastor. I'm not, I'm not lying. My husband had just went downstairs and got some apple strudel <laughs> and brought it and set it on his plate. And we watched it in Germany. Come on. I was prophetic in Jesus' name. So in Hawaii, get that local moco and get it ready to go, all right? Some of you Hawaii, you know what I'm talking about, a little loco moco, all right? If you haven't had it, it's good. Google it. It's awesome stuff. All right. Will you do this? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read all of our campuses. Why don't you stand, Santa Paula, Blythe, those joining us in other places around the country. We're going to read our theme verse. Hopefully, you've got it memorized by now. You ready? Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 says, but Ruth replied, wherever Wherever you live, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. You know what this statement was? It was a statement of honor. It was saying, I'll leave my family and friends. I'll commit to singleness if I have to. I'll be your caretaker for the rest of your life. I'm going to honor you. You know, we've lost a lot of the spirit of honor in our culture today. But come on, we're taking it back in Jesus' name. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence. Fill this place with your glory, with your power. Let the words that are spoken today speak life to us. Open our hearts and make us ready to receive. Say this with me. Say, God, speak to me. Make me a person of honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. So if you've missed the series, we've been talking about what honor looks like. And we've talked about honor being something that is demonstrated through obedience, through hard work, through generosity. Last week we learned, look at, listen, Linda, we learned that we need to honor through listening, right? That we need to receive input. And that was last week. And so we're going to wrap it up this week with the last component of what honor really is. Now, let me give you the cliff notes of the book of Ruth. There was a woman, her name was Naomi. She had a husband named Elimelech, two sons. There was a famine, a recession, very little food, not a lot of jobs, so they moved to the land of the Moabites, which was not a good thing because it was being disobedient to God. God said you need to not live with the Moabites, not marry the Moabites. So the book begins with disobedience and dishonor. Ends with honor and blessing, but so they moved to the land of of Moab. The two sons marry Moabite women, and then tragedy strikes. The husband and both sons, they die. And now Naomi is left as a widow with no resources. One of her daughter-in-laws who's left behind, she leaves and goes back to her family. But one of them, by the name of Ruth, 
She says, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to help you and serve you. And so we've learned that this book is about honor. And then we learned that they decided to kind of repent from that disobedience and return to the land of Israel. When they go back to Israel, they still have no resources. They have land, but they have no resources. Ruth says, I'm going to work hard. I can, I can help. And so she goes into a field, and it says that she happened to end up in the field of Boaz. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk about what that is today. But how many know that with God, there are no coincidences? And so she didn't just end up in the field. God, by divine providence, positioned her for God to do his work in her life. And so she works hard, and while she's working hard, this guy named Boaz notices her. She's an amazing uh, worker, and she's got respect in the community. And so then, um, and last week we learned this, then her mother-in-law gives her advice. And we learned that she listened and received input and did what her mother-in-law said. And so she goes and she lays at the feet of Boaz on the threshing floor. There are people there. She lays there and uncovers his feet. And this was an act to say, would you marry me or take me on as and be my kinsman redeemer? That's where we pick up on the story. So now he's woke up in the middle of the night. (laughs) He sees her laying there. And this is where we continue in Ruth chapter 3. We're going to dive into a little bit of chapter 3, and then we're going to get to chapter 4 and wrap this book up. We're going to finish the book of Ruth. Here's what it says. So Boaz looks at her, and here's what he says. He says, while it's true that I'm one of your family redeemers or kinsmen redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related than me. In other words, there's somebody that's in first position. He's a closer relative as a kinsman redeemer. I'm in second position. So he says, so if he's willing to redeem you, in other words, buy the land and marry you, then let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. When I read this part of the story and as I begin to meditate on this passage, here's what the Lord spoke to me about what in, um, honor really is. We've learned a lot of things about honor. But this week, the bumper sticker, if you're taking notes, write this down. What is it to be a person of honor? You honor God with integrity. Honor God with integrity. Boaz is a study. This is a man of integrity. He had integrity in his relationships with other people. You'll see he had integrity with how he did business. He was a man of integrity. Can I stop and just take a moment and and, and talk for a minute about this? That God loves integrity. In fact, in our culture, we've lost integrity. With honor has gone integrity. In fact, let me show you some things that the Bible says about integrity. The Bible says in Psalm 119, it says, joyful are people of what? Let's try that again. I want to hear you all the way in Santa Paula. Joyful are people of Integrity. integrity, who follow the instructions of the Lord. In other words, when you're a person of integrity, God says that it's going to release joy into your life. And I'm going to show you why you're going to have joy when you're a person of integrity. The second verse in Proverbs, chapter two, verse seven says that God is a shield to those who walk with integrity. How many know that'll give you joy? Come on, it's great to buy insurance from farmers or, you know, be in good hands with Allstate, but how many know that the good hands of Allstate aren't nothing like the hands of our God? Because he knows how to shield us. He knows how to protect us. You can be at joy, you can be at peace because God's got your back because you're a person of integrity. God loves integrity. Let me show you another verse about integrity. Proverbs 10, 19. People with integrity walk safely. You don't have to be afraid. 
about your future. You don't have to be afraid about where you're going to end up. You don't have to be afraid about your business situation. You don't have to be afraid about your finances. Because when you have integrity, God's watching over you and you walk safely. But those who have crooked paths, who don't have integrity, will be exposed. And then look at this. This is my favorite one. Proverbs 2 verse 21. It says, for only the godly will live in the land and those with integrity will remain in it. Here's what this says. It says that if you're a person of integrity, that you're going to be blessed and you're going to continue to be blessed, that it's not going to leave you, that you get to stay in a place of God's promises. You get to stay in a place of God's blessings because of honor through integrity. Y'all with me? Shout amen. Amen. So God loves integrity. So here's what I want to do. What does integrity look like in this passage? Now, as we take the scripture, we can find a whole lot more. But for the sake of time, I can only focus on this story. And in this story, there's a couple things that I want to point out as an example of what integrity is. So I'm going to give you the first one. What does integrity look like? Write this down. Integrity is being honest. Integrity is honesty. You see... When we read the story, what we find out is that Boaz, when she's there at his feet, she says, would you take me, would you be my kinsman redeemer? Here's what he could have done. He could have said, okay, let's do it. It would have been legal. He could have got away with it. We could have said, okay, let's do the deal. Let's bring someone in. You're now my wife. He could have made it legal. He could have become the kinsman redeemer. But he didn't do that because that wasn't honest. Because the honest thing was to say, hey, listen, I would like to do it, but there's actually someone who has the first right of refusal before me. And so I want to be honest with you. How I many you know sometimes honesty isn't just telling the truth? Honesty is not omitting things that people need to know as well. It's interesting because he could have done a quick deal, he could have done it behind the scenes, he could have made it happen. But that wasn't really being honest. Can I stop and say, how many know that in life sometimes people struggle with being honest? How many know that people tell white lies? Come on, let me just say it this way. How many parents have children? How many know that children growing up sometimes will tell white lies? Some of you are like, no, mine were more gray and black. I decided to find some lies that kids tell to share with you this morning. I was thinking about it, and so I went online, and I found here are some lies, little white lies that kids will tell their parents. Parents, you're probably going to recognize these. You ready? Here's the first one. Ready? I'm only going to play this video game for two more minutes. Come on, how many know that's a white lie? Two hours later. Turn that thing off or it's mine. Come on. That's a white lie. Let me tell you you another white lie that the kids tell. There will definitely be chaperones there, Dad. Come on, at the party, there's going to be some chaperones there. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on, how many kids have the courage to say you told that one? Anybody? All right, nobody's got the guts today? All right, okay. This is my favorite one. And sometimes I know with the white lie, you know, our intentions are good, but sometimes we just lie. Here's one of the lies that kids tell. Every parent here has experienced this. You ready? If we get it, a dog, we'll take care of it. You won't have to do anything, Dad. I'll feed it. I'll take it for a walk. I will love it and nurture it. And then two months later, who's outside picking up the poop? Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? It's a white lie. Kids tell white lies. 
but so do parents. So I found a couple of lies that parents tell. Come on, and the kids said amen. Now, if you're a dad, how many know that when you buy food at a drive-thru, it's fair game for dad, because dad's the one paying for it. So here's a white lie that maybe you've told as a dad. I, I think I've told this white lie before. No, no, honey, cheeseburgers always come with a bite missing. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? Always. Okay, here's the other one. This one is a little bit, I, I actually found this online of lies that parents have told to their children. And this, this one is a little bit dangerous. So here we go. This is a white lie that a parent told a child. Ready? When the music on the ice cream truck comes on, that means they're all out of ice cream. Come on, how many know that parent needs to repent in Jesus' name? That's just wrong. It's just wrong. You know, it's funny as we laugh about those little lies that we tell and then we don't realize that integrity is being honest and that sometimes if we're not careful, we're not people of honor and integrity because we do the same. Well, my, my husband doesn't need to know about this credit card. Or, you know, the company won't mind. I'm just going to adjust my hours a little bit. Or every student plagiarizes. And what we don't realize is that we suddenly have forgotten about integrity. In fact, can I tell you what the word integrity means in the Bible? In fact, here's what we say. It's, it's just a little white lie. It won't hurt anybody. And then we don't realize is that we've lost our integrity. We get back, can I tell you what the word integrity means in the Bible? The word integrity in the Bible is a Hebrew word which means to be complete, to be intact, or to be whole. Now, that's not what we normally think of when we think of integrity, but the idea is, is that when you're integrous, nothing is missing. And a, a way to define it or explain it is I had a conversation with Pastor Jack Hayford a few years ago, and we were just, I, I was picking his brain and asking him questions, and we were sitting at lunch, and, and, and so finally we began to talk about integrity, and he told me a story about the definition of integrity and what it means in the Bible, and he said, let me define it this way. As he said, I used to, when I was young, we would go to this little deli where my dad would get meat. It was like a little meat market. There was a butcher there. And, and so, now let me just say, Pastor Jack is now 84 years of age. So this was probably 75 years ago. And so they go to the, the, the meat market. And when they get there, he said, what would happen is that they would have, a, like, for instance, a loaf of roast beef. And they would take it and they would put it in the slicer and they would slice it. And then they would wrap it back up. But sometimes when they were slicing it, when they'd get to the end, because, you, you know, the, the, the roast beef came with that net around it. It had kind of the mesh with the string on it. And they would slice it up. And then at the end, he said, sometimes if the slices didn't work out just right, they would get to the end and there'd be just a little piece and it would slice off the piece with the little string on it. And he said, the, the, the butcher was always nice and he'd give me that little piece with the string and I'd eat it and it tasted great. But when he wrapped it up, he said that he couldn't put on there that it was a loaf with integrity because a piece was missing. So only the loaves that, of, of meat that had everything intact, nothing missing, were integrous pieces of meat. Because if a little piece was gone, it didn't have integrity. I began to think about it. How many of us, because we've kind of bought into the culture of the day, and suddenly the next thing you know, well, you know what she doesn't know won't hurt her. 
well, I probably won't tell them this. And the next thing you know, many of us have cut away little pieces of our lives. And we've lost a spirit of honor and we've lost a spirit of integrity. And then we wonder why God isn't our shield. And we wonder why we're not standing in the blessing. Because we've lost a spirit of integrity. In fact, let me just tell you, it's a great quote about truth. The truth doesn't cost you anything, but a lie can cost you everything. How are we people of integrity? How are we people of honor? Integrity is when we walk in honesty. Come on, y'all with me, say amen. Amen. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to how you do your business, and when it comes to how you relate to your spouse, when it comes to how you deal with situations, are you walking in integrity? Because integrity is when you honor. Yeah, the, other, the other way to kind of define it is if you want to see what, what integrity is, it's not just honesty, but here's the second thing. Integrity is following the rules. Now, let me just say, how many know some people, they're like rules people? How many know that kids, some of your kids, they're like, everything is about the rules. And they're quick to tell them the ones that don't follow the rules. How many know that there are some people that just kind of have a gift for trying to work the rules? Like their mentality is rules are meant to be broken. Or I found a quote, maybe this describes the way you think about rules. Ready? I'm not trying to break the rules, but merely test their elasticity. Come on, any kids you know of that have that, that, that gifting or that mentality? What I want to show you is that, that Boaz, not only is he a man of honesty because he tells her, listen, there's somebody else in first place, and so they've got to have the first right of refusal. So he's honest in the situation. But then when he does the business transaction, he follows a set of guidelines or rules so that then, of course, he can receive the blessing. And so I want to show you that. And it's going to take a little bit. We're going to read several verses. We're going to go to chapter 4. Now, what has happened is now he's already talked to Ruth, and he said, I'm going to do my best to be your kinsman redeemer, but I've got to go through the process. I've got to follow the guidelines so that I can step into the blessing and that we can experience this. And so let's jump into chapter 4. It begins by saying, so Boaz went to the town Gate. We're going to talk about the town gate in a minute. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him. Can I just stop and say, how many know that there are no coincidences with God? And how many know that with Boaz, that he was a smart man? And because he was a smart man, he didn't just hope that one day he would bump into the kinsman redeemer, but he went to the place where he knew the kinsman redeemer probably would go. He would go by the town gate. We just say there's wisdom. You're going to see a lot of wisdom in Boaz and how he did his, his dealings and how he had relationships. You're going to see it in his negotiating in a minute. He was a wise man. He had integrity. He followed the process. So he sees this, this man who's the kinsman redeemer. And then Boaz called, after he sees that he's there, Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. All right? And Boaz said then, he speaks to the family redeemer, and he says, you know Naomi, she is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. You can redeem it if you wish, but if you don't want it, let me know. Because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. Then the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, that's great, 
But also, you know that your purchase of land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, by the way, who's a Moabite. <laughs> so he's not just wise, but he's a good negotiator. He says, not only is she a Moabite, but that way you guys can have children who will carry on her husband's name. Well, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. Now, let's finish it up. Now, in those days, it was a custom in Israel. Remember following the process and following the guidelines and the rules. In those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. It's interesting because when we read this story, here's what we discover is that Boaz, he had integrity, not just with honesty, but he had integrity because he followed the process, the guidelines that were before him. And I got to tell you, sometimes in life, it's easy for us to just kind of say, well, I'm going to just go with the flow and just do whatever comes to me and we'll just fly by the seat of our pants. But I want to tell you that if you want to walk in the blessing, you got to follow the process. Because God establishes processes to protect us and to bless us. Let me show you how he followed the, the rules or the guidelines. Number one, the Bible says he went to the town gate. Why is that important? Because the town gate was basically the city court of that community. It's where all of the transactions took place. They would go to the city gate and then they would deal with, with business transactions or sales of properties or hearing a case in the court. It was held at the town gate. So he followed the process. He went to the right place and then he made sure that there are witnesses to establish this contract or this negotiation that was taking place. He followed the process. He followed the rules. And I love that he was transparent when he negotiated the deal. First of all, he said, you're the first one in line. I'm the second one in line, so I'm giving you a chance first. Now, here what's cool, though, is that he wasn't just a, um, you know, transparent, but he was wise. So he was a good negotiator because he helped people to understand the terms of the situation. I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that when we do business, we get caught so much in wanting to make money on our project that when we negotiate it, we don't make sure that we disclose the, the liability that's involved with the transaction. Hey, you need to do this deal with me because, you know, there's the upside right now with the market. And I know it just dropped, but it keeps going back up and you're going to make money. And, but we don't stop and say, but you know, there's risk involved. Because people with integrity, they're transparent and they're honest with the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And they follow the rules of engagement. He did, and I love it, because he, he kind of strings him in. He pulls him in, right? He's like, hey, there's this property. You can redeem the property. You can buy it, expand your properties and your territories. And the man says, oh, cool, I'll do it. He goes, but just so you know, if you do it, that'll happen. But along with it comes Ruth, who happens to be a Moabite. How I many know he's working the deal right now? <laughs> oh, and by the way, not only that, the, the, you're going to get the property, but you're going to get the Ruth, the Moabite. But then remember Naomi, the mother-in-law, who her name meant uh, loved of God, but now her name, she said, call me Mara, bitter. You also get the bitter mother-in-law. 
Oh, and by the way, Ruth's going to want to have kids, just letting you know. And suddenly he starts seeing the bigger picture. Let me ask you a question. How many of you wish that someone would have had integrity with you before you bought that car? Before you bought that house with the variable loan that you didn't see coming? How many of you wish you would have been in a deal with someone who had integrity, who honored you, and disclosed with transparency and honesty so that you didn't end up with buyer's remorse? Come on, somebody tell what I'm talking about. Because God's looking for people who honor and have integrity. Come on, you all with me? He followed the rules. He, he used the process. Now, let me say this. That doesn't mean that we're not wise in our negotiation. It doesn't mean that. that and he was. He was smart. And, and so finally, the man says, I'm not going to do it. I, I wanted to do it. But you see, here's the deal. I have a wife. And if I marry her and I have another kid and we have multiple kids, then not only will I have to give away the property I just bought to them, but I might have to end up taking some of my other properties and share it with those kids. And it'll, it'll affect my legacy. It'll affect my, you know, what I have. So I can't do it. Isn't it interesting how things change when integrity is involved in the process? I just wonder, what would our world be like if our world was filled with people who had integrity? And I love the last part because it wasn't just he went to the gate and he was transparent. But here's the other thing that he did is he followed the process and they did the deal. They had the witnesses and then the man took his shoe off and handed it to him. And some of you are like, why did they do that? That seems kind of weird. Well, this was a custom in those days. And basically what it meant was this. It meant this. It said, I know that there's this property and I know that I can have it or I'm going to buy it or it's mine. But now here's what I'm doing. I'm taking my shoe off and I'm giving it to you to declare to you that I have now released my authority to walk that property and released it into your hands. I, I love the story because the story is filled with honor and it's filled with integrity. It wasn't filled with cutting corners. It wasn't filled with hiding, you know, little white lies. It wasn't filled with omitting little truths that got you ahead. It wasn't working the system. It wasn't cheating the system. It was saying, I'm going to be a person of integrity. And because he had integrity, I want to kind of bring this to a close. I want to talk to you about two things. I want to talk to you about the kinsman redeemer. Because he had integrity, God gave him the opportunity to become a kinsman redeemer. What is a kinsman redeemer? Well, here's what it meant in that day. And you're going to see some beautiful correlations to where we are today. Basically, what it meant was is that Naomi had a property. And that property during the famine um, that was in Israel, they, they were running out of money. So they kept leveraging the property and putting firsts on it and seconds on it and thirds on it and fourths on it. Where now it had all this debt connected to the property. And now they had all this debt that they couldn't pay. They didn't have much, have hardly any thing any equity and any resources and so a kinsman redeemer who was a relative the closest relative to that family member can say because you're my family because I love you I'm gonna buy back and take it for my own possession I'm gonna buy it but when I take it from my own possession it's your possession too and I'm gonna get you out of your debt and I'm gonna provide for you that was the kinsman redeemer and so he went to Ruth and he said, I will be your kinsman redeemer. And he purchased the land of Elimelech. In fact, he said this in the story. He said, um, we read it a moment ago. I, I didn't highlight it, but he said, you can buy this land so that it will stay in her family and their name will be remembered. Reminds me of a story of redemption. And maybe this will help you understand 
the kinsman redeemer. There was a little boy and his name was Tommy. And Tommy had built this beautiful little model boat that could float on the, the river. One day Tommy took his little boat and carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string and it sailed smoothly on the waters. Tom sat in the sunshine admiring that little boat that he had built when suddenly a strong current caught the boat and Tommy tried to pull it back but the string broke. The little boat raced downstream and he ran along the sandy shores as fast as he could to try to keep his eye on the boat. But eventually the little boat slipped out of sight. All afternoon he searched and searched for that little boat that he had built. Finally, when it was too dark to see any longer, he went home without his little boat. A few days later, Tommy was on his way home from school. And as he was walking by a store, he noticed off in the distance in one of the windows a little boat. And he thought, wow, that's a cool boat. And he got closer. And as he got closer, he saw that the little boat in the window was the boat that he had built. That was his boat. So he hurried into the store and he told the manager, sir, that is my boat in your window. I made it. And the manager said, that's great, but I'm sorry, son. This is my boat. But if you want the boat... You can buy it for a dollar. How many know this must be a really old story because boats don't cost a dollar anymore? <laughs> Tommy was saddened by the statement, but he said, okay, and he quickly ran home and he opened his piggy bank and he, he pulled everything he had. He took all the money he had, which happened to be one dollar. And he raced back to the store and he ran into the store and he rushed up to the counter and he said, here's the money for my boat. He held that little boat in his arms and he walked out. He looked at the boat, holding it in his arms, and he said, Now you are mine twice. First I made you, and then I bought you. You and I were made by a creator who loved us. But because of our selfishness and because of our sin, because of the currents of life, we snapped the string and we went our own way. What does the Bible say? Man thinks he knows the way she should go. And so we ran our course and we went off on our own, away from our creator to do our own thing. But our creator loved us so much that he kept searching and searching and he never lost sight of us. And when he found us, he went and he took everything he had. He laid down his own life. The Bible says, though he was rich, he became poor for us. He gave his life's blood, the most precious thing he had, so that he could purchase us and redeem us. And though once we were lost, now we were found. He made us and he bought us for his own. And you and I, if we've received Christ, we have been redeemed. Boaz, he was the redeemer. He purchased her and now she carried his name. She was his bride. The kinsman redeemer had a bride. And you know, as I thought about this story, I want to end the sermon by pointing something out that I hadn't noticed before. But as I read the story, here's what's interesting. is the Bible tells us that when he desired to be the kinsman redeemer, here's why. So that... Their name 
Malon, Kilion, Elimelech, their name would never be forgotten in that town. He bought them so that their name would be remembered and so that when people would walk by that little town and they'd see that property on the side of the road, they'd say, whose property is that? And then, well, that's Elimelech's property. His name would be, never be forgotten. That was his heart. That was the heart of the kinsman redeemer. But you know what's interesting? The one who had honor wanted to make sure that that name was remembered. But the one who didn't have honor, the one who cho chose not to have integrity, the one who chose not to be the kinsman redeemer, you know what's interesting? When we read the story, we don't even find out his name. The one without honor, it's not even, doesn't even have the opportunity to have his name placed in the record of the story. In fact, his name has gone away and faded away into oblivion. There's no record of his name. We don't even know who he is. We don't even know who the potential kinsman redeemer was. He had no honor and he lost the value of his name. But then the one who had the heart of honor and the heart of integrity, who had the heart to remember the names, let's read in the book of Luke or look of Matthew about his name. If you go through the genealogy, it goes all the way from Adam down to Solomon was the father of who? Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of King David and if you keep reading and you keep reading you'll find that and then Jacob was the father of Joseph and the husband of Mary and Mary gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah the great kinsman redeemer who made us and who bought us and the man who had a heart that Ruth's family's name would be remembered. God was his shield and God was his one to bring provision and favor and the one who blessed him. And so now instead of Elimelech's name being remembered, Boaz's name and Ruth's name is remembered, not just in a little town, but now millions and billions of people are remembering his name because they remember the great redeemer's name Jesus Christ you see there's power when we learn integrity there's power when we walk in honor and here's the beautiful thing because we had a kinsman redeemer guess what we were like Ruth and we were all alone and we we, we couldn't do it on our own but this great kinsman redeemer he purchased us as his bride and gave us a name and now we have a name sons and daughters of the king Jesus and his name is above every other name in fact one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to his name the world has changed forever from a name being remembered that can all be tied back to integrity and honor. That's why we've taken five weeks. Aren't you thankful that you have a kinsman redeemer? Aren't you thankful that God cares about your name, your future, your legacy, your family, your business, your finances, your education, your calling? made you and he bought
bought you as his own. I want you to close your eyes.